Welcome to the From the Flats podcast, brought to you by AT&T, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Hear from the experts, including media covering upcoming opponents in the ACC, former Georgia Tech letter winners, and the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network crew. Now, here's your host, Wiley Ballard. And welcome back. We're thrilled to be joined this week by a bevy of guests as Georgia Tech takes on Pittsburgh this Saturday, a 12:30 kick at Heinz Field. And as we get this episode of From the Flats started, we'd like to welcome in our first guest, Jerry DePaula. Jerry, thrilled to have you with us as a member of the Pittsburgh Tribune Review. How are you doing? I'm doing well. You did it better than my kindergarten teacher did it 60 years ago. <laughs> That's good to hear. Good to hear. Well, let's let's talk some Pitt football. Obviously, this is a team that Georgia Tech has seen year in, year out since joining the ACC. And uh, last weekend, took on the Penn State Nittany Lions, and things did not go too well for Pitt. Got way out of hand there uh, late in the game. What do you sense were the takeaways from Pat Narduzzi and his uh, squad? Obviously, not the result they wanted, but they got to find some way to move forward, right? Well, they were humbled. They, they were they were really humbled. You know, you know, Pat Narduzzi and his team has been talking uh, a big game all, all summer long. Uh, and Arduzzi even you know, made a prediction at the, uh, at the luncheon, the boosters luncheon, uh, the week before the, a couple of days before the opener, that Pitt would play in the ACC championship game. Uh, now, when you lose 51 6 to Penn State, and they do have a very talented team, much more talented than Pitt, uh, still, it, it humbles you. And I think you got to go, go, go back uh, to the drawing board, start from, from uh, to start from like square one and, and try to put the pieces back together. But it's going to be difficult to do. Number one, they've always had trouble with Georgia Tech's option, triple option. Now, they've beaten them once or twice, I think, over the years, uh, but not last year. Last year was a, was a loss uh, down in Atlanta. Uh, but they've always had trouble trying to defend that option. That's the one, one thing. Number two, Pitt is having problems on the offensive line, protecting their quarterback, Kenny Pickett. They're also having problems finding a receivers, getting open, you know, quick enough for Pickett to get them the ball. Uh, it's a very inexperienced wide receiver group. Uh, they got you know, the last couple guys in the NFL the last couple of years in, in Tyler Boyd and Je- Tyler Boyd and Jester Wea. Uh, and the g- young guys are learning. They have some talent. They have some explosive talent, but they're learning. But Pitt's running the ball fairly well, actually. Even though the quarterback's being sacked, was that four times by Penn State. They ran the ball pretty well against Penn State in the first half before things got out of hand in the second half. And the running back, uh, Cardre Olison, is actually third among running backs in the ACC, averaging 96 points a game. That's where Pitt going to have to focus to try to win this game. You mentioned earlier they've had trouble slowing down Georgia Tech's triple option offense. Have you noticed a, a different approach this season or changes they're trying to make? Or what is the, the conversation from the coaches and staff and players yeah. about how they want to try and slow it down? I, I think they've, 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 went, they've defense it or defended it so often that they pretty much know how to do it. It's just a matter of trying to keep up some of those athletes. Georgia Tech has, you know, on, on offense as running backs. Well, I understand Benson's out for the season, but uh, the, Pitt doesn't have the athletes to keep up with the speed that Georgia Tech has among the quarterbacks and the running backs over the years, and that's been the biggest problem. They know how to defend it. They, they practice it. They practice it in the summertime. Before training camp starts, the players get together on their own and, and practice against a triple option. They practice against a triple option when training camp starts in August. Uh, I was talking to Elijah Zeiss today, a Pitt's outside linebacker, and he said, He's played it three years now, and he played it in high school because he played there's teams in in, in Western Pennsylvania that ran a triple option. So he's used to it, but they ought to do it the same way. The trouble is to try to shed those blocks. When, when, they, when they try to block you around the knees and around the ankles, 
it's very annoying, very tough to, to get away from. And that's been the problem Pitt has, has faced over the years against Georgia Tech. As far as the field conditions are concerned this week, obviously the weather a little suspect at this point, but do you get the impression that at Heinz Field, home of the Steelers, that the field is better equipped uh, to take a beating, if you will, from uh, perhaps some nasty weather that's coming through? Yeah, I think the, the turf at Heinz Field has, has been replaced numerous times over the years. It's been around since 2001. I think it'll be fine. Uh, the biggest problem with the weather, you know, that Pitt had against Penn State was the uh, – Holder, the holders, uh, the punter, holder and the punter, same guy, Kirk uh, Christodulo, uh, an Australian native. He couldn't, he couldn't hold on to the ball. His hands were too wet or whatever, but he messed up two uh, placements on field goals. Uh, he, he fumbled a punt snap that led to a Penn, Penn State touchdown. And then when Pitt got, you know, after he did that, uh, when Pitt got inside the four, inside the five yard line, late like in the first half, a fourth, fourth and three, uh, instead of going, instead of kicking the field goal. Darduzzi went for the uh, first time and tried to score or get the first time, and they were stuck. So they really lost a lot of points because their punter you know, couldn't hold on to the football. And as we wrap things up here, Jerry, I know obviously you said Pat Narduzzi, high expectations going into the year. Uh, one of the things we noticed last year uh, from afar down here in Atlanta was that Pitt really struggled to generate much offensively. Uh, what is their bread and butter right. offensively this year? I know you mentioned the receiving core is pretty young. They're going to lean on the run game, right? Oh, yeah, Quadri Olson, you know, a lot of people don't remember that Quadri Olson replaced James Conner in 2015 after Conner tore up his knee in the first game of that season, and he ran for over 1,100 yards, and I believe he was named ACC Offensive Freshman of the Year. He had a great season in 2015. In the last two seasons, 16 and 17, of course, Conner came back in 16, and last year, Darren Hall was the, was the lead running back. Uh, this year, Olson has... Has, uh, got, has, launched, has launched himself above Darren Hall. Now, Connor scores with the Steelers. So, Olison is the guy that uh, he's, he's a tough running back. I mean, he, he's a bruising guy. He, he, takes, he takes a hit. He's not afraid to run over a, a linebacker or a cornerback if they get in his way. And, like I said, he's averaged 96 yards a game. And that's over two games. And one was against Albany, which wasn't a very good team. Uh, but he ran pretty well against Penn State, you know, at least in the first half. They did. Second half, they did nothing. Uh, they couldn't move the ball at all. But the first half, all of a sudden, in the pit offense, did okay. Uh, again, just okay. It could have to be better than just okay to beat Georgia Tech. I, I, well, I think it's safe to say Georgia Tech and Pitt have similar aspirations trying to get to that ACC championship game, and they go head-to-head this weekend against 1230 at Heinz Field. Jerry, thank you so much for joining us and look forward to seeing you up in the Steel City. Okay, thank you very much. All right, we come back, we'll be joined by another Yellow Jacket letter winner in our letter winner segment here on From the Flats. Will Georgia Tech go to the air here? We'll see. Thomas does drop. Rolls left. Throws back to the right. Wide open. Perkins down the right sideline. He's at midfield at the 40. They're chasing him from behind. Nobody's going to get him. Inside the 10 and into the end zone. 79 yards. Justin Thomas rolled to the left, threw it back to the right, and Charles Perkins did the rest. And we're now joined by Charles Perkins, Yellow Jacket letter winner in our letter winner segment, part of the 2014 Orange Bowl team. And Charles, thrilled to have you here. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Wiley. Thanks for having me. Talk through uh, some of uh, our memories and also give a little insight on what I'm doing now <laughs> as a Georgia Tech alum. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think for most Tech fans, last time they saw you was on New Year's Eve 2014, taking down Mississippi State 49-34 to in the Orange Bowl. Can you kind of give us a play-by-play for you since that night and, and to where you are today? 
Sure, sure. So, you know, first about that night, you know, that was my last game, you know, suiting up, walking off the field, and what a way to go out. You know, that's the story I've been able to use in my working career, telling people, hey, you know, that that was my last game on the field, you know, going out on top. So that, that was awesome. But then I started my career with Mondelez International uh, a, a week after that last game. And for those that don't know who Mondelez is, it's a snacking giant. My last role um, for a year and a half was a customer category manager. I uh, called on Ingalls Markets and also the Publix Atlanta division. So all in all, I was managing you know, around a $70 million business. Um, a couple years out of college, you know, that's what the Georgia Tech degree will do for you. Um, I got a call from Tim Barton, the, the partner, managing partner for Barton Executive Search. And I have been with Barton Executive Search as a consultant for the last three months. So it, jumping into a new career here. But uh, Georgia Tech has obviously opened up a number uh, of windows for me, and that's where I sit currently, you know, career-wise. No doubt. Putting a lot of cookies and crackers on the shelf, a lot of wins in the oh, win yeah. column, too, uh, in 2014. 11-3, <laughs> and 6-2, uh, and two, first place in the Coastal Division, played in the ACC title game that year. But yep. the way our timelines worked out this week, Charles, is obviously Georgia Tech coming off a, a – a uh, heartbreaking loss on Saturday to USF and now traveling to Pittsburgh this week. That's somewhat similar to what happened in 2014 uh, sure. when you guys went up to Heinz Field coming off back-to-back -back losses against Duke mm -hmm. and Carolina uh, after a 5-0 and start. Uh, what was the vibe going into Pittsburgh that week and then obviously that first quarter? I've never sure. seen anything quite like it. Yeah, so the vibe, obviously, we got the 5-0 and start, beat Miami, huge win, but you know, we had two really tough losses, and that led us into Pittsburgh. The mentality was get off to a fast start. And uh, for those that watched the game, I think that was the craziest uh, first quarter <laughs> I've ever had. Jack had scored four touchdowns in five minutes and 16 seconds wow. on a grand total of nine plays. <laughs> Meanwhile, Pittsburgh, they fumbled five times in the first quarter. Wow. And when I say fumbled, I mean they lost five fumbles. Gosh. And then those first four fumbles came across a total of six plays. Six plays. So, so across the first, <laughs> first 15 plays, Georgia Tech was up 28 to nothing. I remember on the sideline, we just scored a touchdown. And then I was sitting with Justin Thomas. And we hear something go off like, hey, y'all are back on the field. We're like, what? You got to be kidding me. At this point, we'd already scored like three touchdowns. And then the offense is back on the field. And we, we couldn't even believe it. And then we go score again. So. That was a crazy game. I, I got a big touchdown in that one. I was able to take one to the house on third down. So good memories from that, that game. We're only four seasons removed uh, from that 2014 Orange Bowl title. But I'm curious, when you guys get together, especially the seniors uh, from your class, is there one story or memory that jumps ahead of the pack or is the first one you guys touch on when you look back at that season? Gosh, I think, you know, the the fondest memory would obviously be, you know, we had some success in the Orange Bowl, a lot of fun. It was great playing Florida State. Should have beat them. I always say that. But um, the Georgia game, you know, obviously I'm from Georgia, born and raised, grew up in Gwinnett County. So, you know, pretty close to Athens and just that experience of almost losing that game to getting it into overtime and then Harrison kicking that field goal. There was uh, no better feeling than tearing up their hedges, beating Georgia, you know, it, it, just an awesome close to the season. 
and going into the locker room, hearing Coach Johnson say, I love Justin Thomas. That was awesome. You don't, <laughs> you don't hear that too often <laughs> from uh, PJ, but, you know, just an awesome experience in the locker room with the guys, you know, driving back from Athens. You got the police escort. All their fans are pulling off to the side of the road, you know, giving us obscenities on the way down, but it's all good. <laughs> But, you know, that's really the uh, fondest moment to uh, to an awesome year. We had a lot of great memories, but I would say that was definitely uh, at the top of the list. I, I've never had the opportunity to ask this question of, of someone who was on the sideline that day, but I'm sure. curious. If you took a straw poll across the Georgia Tech bench before Harrison Bucker went out to kick a 53-yarder, uh -huh. what percentage of the guys thought he was going to be able to hit it? God, you know what? It was crazy. Outside, and we've seen Harrison's leg before, so we knew mm -hmm. we can make it. You know, I was actually standing right next to uh, Coach Johnson. Get the kickoff return. Justin takes off for, I believe, a 30-yard gain. And Coach Johnson asked the special team coach, he's like, how far is it? And I believe he said 53. PJ said, kick it, kick it. And then they go out on the field. And what's crazy, we weren't even going to get that field goal off. Mark Rick called a timeout. We were going to get a delay game and then make it a 58-yarder. Um, but we were able to get it off. But uh, straw poll, I think majority of the guys on the team would have said uh, we had confidence that he would make that. Um, and you obviously see what he's doing in the NFL now. So uh, that wasn't a fluke. Well, Charles, thanks again uh, so much for your time. And I imagine Definitely. we will uh, we will get a chance to see you uh, about 10 days from now when the Jackets take on uh, the Clemson Tigers at 3.30. Definitely will. Thanks, Wiley, for having me. And uh, go Jackets. Go Jackets. All right, when we come back, Andy Demetra, Sean Bedford break down a key ACC opener against the Pitt Panthers. We'll be back in just a moment. Marshall drops the throw, fires down the seam as Lynch wide open, makes the catch 45-50. He's in the clear. 30, 25, 20. House call. Clint Lynch, 81 yards in a blink, and the Jackets back in front. And that was one of the highlights from this past weekend's loss against South Florida. Now joined by the man behind the highlight, Andy Demetra, voice of the Jackets, and Sean Bedford, our color analyst for the Georgia Tech Football IMG Sports Network. And guys, uh, an exciting moment there for Clinton Lynch, an 81-yard touchdown catch, but ultimately the Jackets unable to pick up a road win in Tampa. And obviously, anytime you lose, it's tough. Anytime you, you have a lead late and lose, it's even tougher. And with that said, guys, what are your takeaways uh, from this past Saturday's performance in Tampa? Well, obviously, you're disappointed anytime you lose, but I think there were a lot of positive takeaways from there. And I think we saw offensively that Jordan Mason is more than capable of carrying the load when he's asked to, and that Tobias Oliver was was very or looked very good when he stepped in in place of Taquan Marshall. At the same time, though, there are a lot of things that need to be corrected. The defense is going to have to improve its tackling. Uh, special teams coverage uh, sort of speaks for itself. I think we were all pretty disappointed with the way that turned out. But a lot of talent out there on the field, it's just a matter of putting it all together, going back to some of those fundamentals and making sure that this team lives up to its potential because I think at times we got glimpses of that potential. Um, we just didn't see them put together a full game. And, uh, you know, credit to, to USF, they're a very good team and they made the the plays they needed to when they needed to, and Tech, unfortunately, wasn't able to do that. And, you know, guys, I think that's why the best thing for Georgia Tech is to go right back on the road. Uh, if they were coming back home after a disappointing defeat like that and were facing a lesser, say, FCS opponent, 
it'd be very easy for any team in that situation to sleepwalk through the game, to still feel sorry for itself. You could still win, but you don't exactly cleanse yourself of the frustration from the week prior. You don't correct what needs to be corrected. Here, they immediately have the focus of diving into ACC play. And while it's difficult to win on the road in the ACC, I think this team, from being around them this week, they crave that next opportunity to go on the road, to close out a game, to right some wrongs. And so difficult as it is to go back-to-back -back on the road, uh, to have it be an ACC game, I think will really be beneficial to this team. Now it's all about, like Sean said, putting it all together, making the plays when they need to, whether it's a stop on defense, a stop on special teams, uh, a play that extends a drive or gets them into scoring range and offense, and then it might be a different result this Saturday. To that point, Andy, I, this doesn't give them an opportunity to sit around and feel sorry for themselves or to dwell on the mistakes that were made last Saturday. This is an opportunity for Tech to get right back to it, to focus on the task at hand, and gives them an opportunity right now to correct some of those problems. You know, we saw uh, with Tobias Oliver in particular, some of the mistakes he made in the Alcorn State game, he had a chance to atone for almost immediately against USF. And now the entire team is having an opportunity to fix those uh, those shortcomings. A very sour taste in the mouth. Note about that chance to get it out uh, with a win this weekend at Pitt. And guys, one of the biggest changes from ha uh, what we were talking about a week ago to this week is at the B-back position, Cravante Benson out for the year. And... Uh, so, again, we may not have expected this to be the case, but this is, I believe, the fourth consecutive year that, you know, that that starting B-back role is going to change hands, uh, this time due to injury with uh, presumably Jordan Ponchez, Mason getting an opportunity, Jerry Howard, of course, in the mix. I don't think there's a lack of talent by any means, but certainly there's some experience lacking that Cravante had. Uh, what's your biggest concern for the B-back position, or do you have any? Paul Johnson said it very well when, when he said that if – it's unfortunate that what happened to Cravante, and certainly we, we all feel terrible for Cravante. This was a, uh, a chance for him to really have a breakout season. I know he'd worked very hard in the offseason, but if there is one position where Tech could afford to lose a starter, it was at B-back. And I think uh, Jordan Mason and Jerry Howard have both shown themselves to be capable runners. Um, the, the biggest area of concern I have is your two most senior players at that B-back position both second-year players in the system, now Jordan Mason redshirted last year, but uh, in both cases, they're second-year players. Um, I think that's potentially where you run the risk of having a little bit of a learning curve still. Um, at the same time, from what I saw on the field on Saturday, uh, both of these guys are capable blockers. We know that they can run. You know, it's just next man up at this point. And I, I think what also helps Jordan Mason is that he's surrounded by so many veterans. You got Quay Cersei, Nathan Cottrell, Clinton Lynch, all savvy vets. You got guys with starting experience up front on the offensive line. He's lining up behind Taquan Marshall, who's a veteran of ACC play and the uh, un, you know unquestioned leader of this Georgia Tech locker room. And so Jordan Mason should probably take some comfort and some security in the fact that he's got a lot of veterans that he's ensconced around. Also, it'd be one thing if this were his first career start and it'd be his first career carries in meaningful action. Well, he's already gotten his first career start under his belt against Alcorn State. He played the final three quarters in high-stakes, high-leverage situations against USF. And I think that's really going to help him as we look ahead to Pittsburgh that some of those nerves and some of the jitters that otherwise a redshirt freshman might experience are probably all flushed out of his system. And last year in that win over Pitt uh, early in the season, 
it was Carvante Benson who had arguably the best day for Georgia Tech offensively in the B-back spot, nearly 200 yards, a couple of touchdowns. So perhaps and hopefully a similar day in store for Jordan Mason. On the flip side for Pitt in uh, their running back position, Kadri Allison, he's every bit as experienced as anyone else out there on the field. He had a big day last weekend at State College despite the lopsided score, a 51-6 to loss for Pitt, but had over 100 yards and Pitt's only touchdown. This is a guy we've seen year in, year out, you know, sometimes in reduced roles, but a lot of people forget, as our guest earlier noted, uh, Jerry DePola about this, but Olison, when James Conner you know, had to miss the season in 2015, Olison stepped in and he had most of the carries there in 2015. And now as a senior in 2018, he's got plenty of experience. Well, he really does. And it seems like he's been there forever. Um, it, it really since the point at which Pitt joined the league. But yeah, I, I remember vividly in 2015 when uh, Pitt came in to Bobby Dodd Stadium and pulled the upset uh, against Georgia Tech um, on that last-minute field goal, and Quadri Olison was a big part of the reason they were able to be successful, even in the absence of James Conner. And he's someone who can really be that bell cow back for them. At the same time, you can't forget about guys like Darren Hall. And as Tech learned a couple of years ago up in Pittsburgh, George Aston, the fullback, uh, can be sneaky on some of those jet sweeps. And Pitt's going to incorporate uh, a lot of the wide receivers in their run game, too, as uh, a number of their their guys who are listed as a wide receiver, including Shaki Jacques-Louis, uh, Rafael Rougeau-Lopes, and Maurice French have all recorded carries from that wide receiver position. So Quadriolison is going to carry the biggest part of the load, but at the same time, he's going to get a lot of help from his friends out there on the field. Hey, Sean, be honest with me. You just wanted to make that last point so you could say Shaki Jacques-Louis, didn't you? That's exactly right, Andy. <laughs> uh -huh. Well, hopefully we will call keep his name call into a minimum on Saturday. I think one of the areas where Pitt is still trying to find itself is who's that jet sweep specialist. They had Quadri Henderson, another Quadri, incidentally, as part of the uh, the offensive skill set of the Panthers, and he was their specialist on those jet sweeps, those fly sweeps, the last couple of years. He left last season to declare early for the NFL draft, and I think. Nobody has yet to really emerge in that position. And, and those kinds of jet sweeps and uh, the misdirection, the fakes of that motion uh, is really a central part of the pit offensive identity. Um, also, let's not forget Arujo Lopes. He's got some some veteran receptions behind him. Taysir Mack is a guy that they were really high on in the offseason, a, uh, a guy who became immediately eligible as a transfer from Indiana. He only had one catch versus Penn State. He was held in check. I know Kenny Pickett would like to get more in rhythm with his wide receivers. He's another guy to keep an eye on uh, as Georgia Tech looks to stanch this pit offense. Well, Sean, Andy, thanks, guys, for your time. And I uh, look forward to hearing you guys on the airwaves at 1230 kick at Pitt, which means we'll be on the air with our coverage at 1030 a.m. on the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network. And look forward to taking on NFL Stadium number 2 here in 2018. Thanks, guys. You got it, Wiley. Thanks, Wiley. No doubt. All right. That's another episode, and we'll be back this Saturday. Hope you join us as the Jackets head up to Heinz Field. You've been listening to the From the Flats podcast, brought to you by AT&T, your destination for the latest in Georgia Tech athletics. Be sure to tune into the Georgia Tech IMG Sports Network on game day for live coverage, and subscribe to this channel to get the latest news on the Yellow Jackets.